Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We're in Luke 11 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And we're going to talk about prayer. Specifically, we're going to talk about dependent prayer, devoted prayer, delivered prayer, and desperate prayer. We're going to start with dependent prayer because I believe dependent prayer, when we become dependent on prayer, it causes us to be devoted to prayer. In being devoted to prayer, we recognize that we are delivered by prayer. And in being delivered by prayer, we become desperate to be people that are always praying. And so this is the four, the four D's of prayer that I'm going to talk about um, over the next four weeks, including today. But I'm going to start by saying this. The church got to start getting it right. Matthew chapter 21, verse 13 reads like this. I'm actually going to start in 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all of those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. The church has to get this right. We serve a God that, that requires that we be dependent on prayer. This should be a house of prayer. I want the church, this church, every church, the Big C Church, to be set on fire by the Spirit of God to communicate with God, to follow Him, to chase after Him in prayer. We should be, if we're nothing else, a people that intimately seeks the face of God in prayer. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is simply communication between us and God to grow intimacy in our relationship. When Angela and I first met, we weren't intimate. You know why? Because we didn't know each other. You know why we didn't know each other? Because we didn't talk. The more we talked, the more we liked each other, the more we liked each other, the, way that, the more our love grew for one another, the more our love grew for, more, for one another, the more intimate we became. And this should be the process in our prayer life. You want to know why your religious life, your spiritual life is so dry? It's it's potentially, probably, most likely, because your prayer life is dry. Because how can you expect to receive anything from God if you're not willing to be intimate with Him? And we show intimacy in prayer. And so I want the church to be a place of prayer. I don't want to give platitude to prayer anymore. I don't want to just say a bunch of church euphemisms about prayer. I don't want you to feel good about prayer because you spent your little one minute in prayer a week. We need to be a people that wake up in the morning, go to bed at night praying. As the Bible says, we should be continuously in prayer. Continuously in prayer. Continuously in prayer. And I'm intentionally repeating myself because we should never stop praying. Because prayer is the highest calling of the Christian to be intimate with a holy God. One of my favorite books, probably top five books that I've ever read, is called Why Revival Terries. Don't worry about that, baby. It just shows there's life in this church. 
Amen. People, modern churches don't have enough babies screaming in them. Amen. All right. Why Revival Terries is probably one of my top five books. It's written by Leonard Ravenhill. And I'm going to read this quote to you because I think it's so profound. This is what he says about prayer. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers, lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, amen, few intercessors. Many writers, but very few fighters. We are called to be prayers, both as pastors and people. We are called to be agonizers, not organizers. We can organize all day long, but if we don't agonize over the prayer, over prayer, over the word of God, then we are we are completely worthless for what God has called us to be. Amen. We need to stop playing church, and the fastest way to stop playing church, and I, that isn't a blanket statement. I know some people in here, man, they're consistently praying. They're doing the best they can. They're reaching out to God. They're pursuing Him with everything that we have. But it's my job to bring you the word and the truth of the condition of the church, and the truth of the condition of the church in a, as a whole, the Big C Church, is that we've set, past, we've set prayer aside and determined to work this church thing out in our own power, and it's never worked. What's sad, though, is so many churches can, and they go on as they've always gone on. Because they've not allowed prayer to be an integral part of what they're doing. They're planners, not prayers. They're organizers, not agonizers. God calls us to plan, yes, but to pray so that we might receive that plan. We've got to be people of prayer, but largely we aren't. We want to give lip service to the fact that we're prayers, but largely we aren't. We've pushed our prayers to the corner of the room. We've sequestered our prayers to whatever corner of the room is most comfortable for us. And there in that corner, they lie, covered in the cobwebs of our own arrogance, thinking that we're capable of performing the functions of the church without the guidance of God who is head over the church. And that has to stop. We have to become dependent on prayer. We must become dependent on prayer, which is what I want to talk to you about today. Being dependent on prayer. How do we demonstrate dependence? And why can we be dependent? This is what I'm going to talk about. But the title of the sermon is Dependent Prayer. We are to walk with boldness and expectation that God's going to hear our prayer. I'm going to do that, like I said, out of Luke chapter 11. I'm going to start for the sake of drawing context in verse 1. So if you'll read along with me. It happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. I wonder what it was about their prayers. What caused their prayers to make the disciples take notice? I think they were bold. I think they were impassioned. I think they were spirit-led. They were accomplishing something. 
And he said to them, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. And then he gives an abbreviated uh, Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So essentially he says, listen, if you got to pray like they pray, if you want to pray with boldness, if you want to pray with authority, if you want to pray in expectation, there's a couple things you need to know. You need to know who you're praying to. You need to know that you're praying to the Father, the Almighty, the God who created all things, and that He is holy, hallowed be thy name. You need to understand who you're praying to and who He is. You must pray that God give you the provision that you need, that He forgive you of your sin, that we also are capable of forgiving other people's sin. Did you know it's harder to forgive other people's sin? Anybody struggle with forgiveness? Amen. Just me, probably. But he goes on and he says, and lead us not into temptation. So he gives these things. Listen, if you want to pray with power, if you want to pray with boldness, if you want to pray with authority, if you want to pray with expectation, you got to know who you're praying to, who he is, and what he's capable of providing you. Now, it doesn't have to go off just like this. Matter of fact, somewhere in the Scripture, Jesus says, don't pray systematically, as does the scribes and the Pharisees. Not anything wrong with memorizing this and praying it, if you're sincere about it. But this is a skeleton by which we should hang our prayers from. And then he says this. And then he said to them, after he said that, after he said, this is the model, but don't worry about the model. Let me talk to you about the process. He says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So Jesus starts with a parable, a simple story to drive the point that he's about to make home. And so he says, listen, so let me give you some background on this. He is saying, you need to know the systematic framework of prayer. Hang your prayers on the skeleton of that prayer, but understand that it's in your persistence that your prayer is answered. And then he gives this story. Now let me give you some context into what this story meant back then. It was, a, it was an emergency. Not a physical emergency, but a social emergency that this man had. You were expected and were looked down on in society if you weren't a good host and provided for your guests. It doesn't matter what time of the day or night they showed up. Right now, we just tell them, hey, man, it's 9 o'clock at night. I'll have breakfast ready in the morning. Back then, when they showed up at your house, you had to feed them. Well, he didn't have any food to feed them. So because of this emergency, he went to a friend's house, knocked on the door in the middle of the night. And he says, can you help me? And his friend says, no, I'm already in bed. My kids are already in bed. And I don't want to wake them up. And we think automatically. We we, we try to superimpose the scripture over our own life. And we're all, well, man, I could get down to my kitchen and get some bread. It wouldn't wake nobody up. 
But in those days, everybody lived in one room. It wasn't unusual for everybody to live in the same space. Probably had a couple of animals that they wanted to keep safe at night inside the house too. So he, didn't, he knew if he got up out of bed, he was going to wake his wife, he was going to wake his kids, he was going to potentially wake up some of the animals that they were protecting from the wilderness. His whole life would have been disrupted or his whole sleep process would have been disrupted. But, so he said no, but the guy kept asking. And he did like so many of us will do. When somebody, y'all ever have somebody ask you something and you say no? And they say, but come on, man. No, but, but come on, man. Fine, what do you want? Because it's going to take me less time to argue with you than to supply this need for you. Amen? So this is the parable that he's given. It's because of his persistence that he got up and gave him what he wanted. So that's just some cultural background. I need you to know that because I want to talk to you about dependent prayer. That our persistence bears witness to God's dependability. His dependability is the reason we can depend on prayer. Let me start again in Luke 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone. Who receives? Everyone. Everyone who's in relationship with the Father. I need us to understand that. That happens through Christ Jesus. There's only one prayer that an unbeliever can expect to have answered from God, and that is a prayer of repentance. So when he says everyone, he, does, he means everyone in relationship. Remember, he's talking in regards to a friend. He's in relationship with his friend. Just wanted to point that out. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers asked, is asked by his son for a fish. Will he not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Dependent prayer. How do we demonstrate dependence? Number one, we demonstrate dependent prayer when we recognize dependent prayer is relentless. Our prayers should be relentless. Do you hear me? That's a bold word for persistent. I, I use this word intentionally because it's loud, it's big, it's bold, it's in your face. We should be relentless in our prayers. Prayer never gives up. These verbs that the Scripture uses in verse 8 and 9 are active verbs. Ask, seek, and knock. We should be active in asking, active in seeking, active in knocking. To ask implies requesting assistance from a friend. When I ask for something, I am believing that you will answer. When I ask God for something, I am believing that He will answer. How can I have such confidence? I can have such confidence because, let me read this to you. I know when I, when I can expect God to answer my prayer based on this verse. 1 John 5.14 this is the confidence which we have 
because before him, this is the confidence that I can have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us and whatever we ask, we know we have the request which he is, we have asked from him. Did everybody catch all that? This is the confidence I can have, that if I ask according to his will, he, he hears us, and because he hears us, we have what we've asked for. How do I know that asking gets me what I need? I, when I'm asking according to his will, when I'm asking according to what he desires for me. I'm going to get into that in just a second, but in order for me to ask, I have to be humble. Pastor Jim, you talk about humble humility all the time. Can I tell you why I talk about humility all the time? Because I, I'm horrible at it. I mean, look at me. You could see how it would be tough for me to be humble. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like 20 of y'all complimented me on my suit today. I'm feeling pretty fancy. My point is that we can't ask for anything if we're not humble enough to recognize we need something. And we're in need of something. How many of you guys have a need in your life? How many of you guys have a need so badly in your life that you'd be willing to pray about it? That God meet that need? So first off, we have to ask in humility. We have to ask according to His will in expectation that in asking, He will give us grace. That's what the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, And all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud. Who's he's opposed to? The proud. But gives grace to the humble. We, we brush past that because it's so commonplace to us to hear it. But he literally opposes the proud. Sets the, his face against the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Now when we hear grace, we hear the definition for grace, which is the unmerited favor of God. That's the, that's, the, that's the actual definition of grace. But let me tell you, that's not just salvation grace. That's every grace. Everything that you've been given is an unmerited favor from God. What do I desire? I desire a favor from God, so I ask for that favor. The only way I'm going to receive that is to be humble. I ask for the favor of provision, the unmerited favor of provision. You're all, well, it's not unmerited. I work for a living. Where did you get the strength to work for a living? Who gave you the favor to get that job? Who gave you the endurance to continue to get the, keep that job? Who gave you the education and the intellect to progress and be promoted in that job? Let me tell you, it's God, and that favor on your life is unmerited. I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, you don't want my money. You want my favor. But God gives grace to the humble. But we have to be humble enough to recognize we have a need and in that recognition ask for that need. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, just ask. I'm going to hurt some feelings probably because there's some doctrine out there that, that it's, just, it's just wrong. I've heard people say, well, I pray for something and then I'm done with it. I believe God's going to answer it. I stand on it. I just walk away from it. God heard me. He's God. He's not going to forget. Except for that's not what this scripture says. This scripture says, ask first. 
But sometimes asking ain't enough. Sometimes you got to seek. Which means to not only ask, but add action to your ask. Mm. <laughs> my, my mind went a little sideways there for a minute. We need to actively seek a solution before the face of God. Seek after God. Seek through the Word of God. Find out if what I'm asking for is according to His will. Make sure that I am seeking, seeking, seeking. Ask for help and seek after that help. But even seeking isn't enough. Then we have to be willing to knock, which includes asking plus action plus persevering. All of these things are necessary. Because God doesn't always answer our prayer when we want our prayer answered. Would you agree with that? And you guys ever pray a prayer, want it to be answered when you prayed it, and it wasn't prayed or wasn't answered or perhaps not even answered yet? Let me tell you, you can have this confidence that if it's in God's will, He heard it. Because He heard it, you have what you've asked for. But you know what He wants you to do in the interim? He wants you to build your faith and chase after Him anyway. By seeking and knocking. Ask, seek. And knock. I gave the illustration in the first sermon. I'll give it in this one. When my kids were little, we'd get the Sears catalog out. Anybody over 30? God, me, anybody under 30 has no idea what I'm talking about. It was like a paper Google. Right? And we'd hand the, hand the kids the paper Google and say, tell me, circle all the stuff you want for Christmas. And man, they'd go, they'd go buck wild. They, every little thing, every dollhouse, every Barbie doll, because I raised two girls, every dress, like they wanted everything. We handed it to them about three months out, and that's what happens. About two months before Christmas, we handed it to them again, and they circled some different stuff. But it's less stuff, never without fail. It's always less stuff. And then you hand it to them about a month out, and they circle something else and it's always less stuff never without fail always less stuff and then finally right before Christmas we tell them one more time I want you to go through this and tell me what you really want and they circle one or two or three things and in their persistence it became very clear to me as their father what they really wanted you ever think that God makes us wait so that we can whittle away our want to get to our need. Because God promises to deliver in our need, not in our want. Because if I got everything I wanted, man, I would have won the lottery like seven times, been broke like seven times, I'd be driving a Porsche, right? We'd, we'd, I'd, and I'd be destroyed for it. Ask, seek, and knock. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. That's the original text. That's the intent of the original text. To ask and keep asking. To seek and keep seeking. To knock and keep knocking. Never stop. Never stop. Never stop. Be persistent in your prayers. Be relentless in your prayer. Amen? Amen? We should be relentless in our prayer like Jacob was relentless in his prayer as he wrestled with God. Because I'm not letting you go until you bless me. 
That's, that's, that's bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Everybody get everybody over 30 got that. Everybody under 30 didn't get that. We need to pray like Hannah, who was barren, but was so impassioned in her prayer to receive a child that the priest thought she was drunk. She was relentlessly holding on to a child, relentlessly seeking after God. How many times would she have had to have gone before the throne of God to ask, seek, and knock before she finally received that she had gone so many times that the priest recognized her not as prayerful, but as drunk. Man, I'd love for somebody in my prayerful state to look at me and say, are you drunk? And me be able to say, no. It's but nine in the morning. It is by the power and the Spirit of God that I seek diligently and relentlessly blessing from God. That's what the church should be. That's what the church should do. We should pray like Ezra who fasted, tore her garments, and fell before the Lord to save Israel. Like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. His flesh didn't want to go through what he went through. He was dependent. He sought God relentlessly, but he was submissive to his will. All I'm asking is that we seek God relentlessly. But we have to do it with the right motivation. And that motivation ain't us. One of my favorite verses, one of people's favorite verses, or correction, one of people's half-favorite verses is, he will give me the desires of my heart. I pray because the Bible says God will give me the desires of my heart. No, it doesn't. The Bible says delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which means when your desires line up with God's desires, then you can expect that the persistent prayer, the relentless prayer that you're praying, will be asked. If you're praying only so that you might receive, only so that you can benefit, regardless of whether it benefits or glorifies God, He's not answering that prayer because your heart isn't in line with His heart. If, if my kids came to me and had the same desire for their future as I had, guess what? I would do everything I could to ensure that that future was played out for them. But if they come to me and said, you know what, I think I'm just going to party till I'm 30, and, and then, you know, maybe, maybe do some stuff, I don't know, uh, maybe just whatever, you know, I don't know how girls think, but whatever they want to do. And it wasn't the plan that I had purposed for their life. They'd be paying for that their self. But when they line their desires up with my desires, then I do everything I can to ensure that their desires are met. But there is no, he does everything he can do for God to meet your desires because he can do anything. Hmm. But let me warn you, because I don't want you to leave here get messed up. Pastor Jim, I was relentless in my prayer. I pursued him. I asked. I seeked. I knocked. I did everything you told me to do. 
God didn't answer my prayer. Some of y'all, myself included, have no idea what an answer is. Some of the best answered prayers I ever got was no. But in the consumer world we live in, if the answer is no, we assume we didn't get one. I have been saved by more no's than I've ever been saved by yeses. I've been saved from my own destruction because God gave me a no more times than I would have been blessed had God given me a yes. I look back at some of the things I prayed for now and I'm thinking, you must have lost your mind. But maybe it's not even a no. Maybe it's a not yet. The worst thing you could do is step into a calling that God has for your life unprepared. Because your charisma will get you where your character can't keep you. And God needs to make sure your character is right before He puts you somewhere. That you're going to glorify Him before He puts you somewhere. I'm convinced one of the worst things that can happen to young men or old men is to be successful before they're ready. It's the reason why I know for six years, as many times as I asked Pastor Rick if I could go talk to my pastor about being raised up as a pastor, six years, for six years, every six months, that distinctive older gentleman over there <laughs> told me not yet. But when he finally said, go talk to your pastor about it, I didn't even have to talk to my pastor about it because that was the moment when the when I stepped into my pastor's office, he offered me a job on his pastoral staff. Isn't that amazing? My answer was not yet. But I really want it. Doesn't matter, not yet. But I really want it. Not yet. You're not ready. So I go talk to my pastor after approval from my authority about praying for him to confirm my calling. And he never even confirmed my calling. He just asked me if I wanted a job. That's good. That's a prayer answer to God. Amen. Amen. That's a relentless, just right. It's a favor of God. You don't want my money. You want my favor. That's good. We don't get our prayers answered because we're consumer-minded. And we're vertical. We, we think vertically. What's a consumer-minded prayer? A consumer-minded prayer is a selfish prayer is an immediate gratification prayer. God sometimes says no to us because he, he doesn't have the horizontal view of our life that we have. He has a transcendent view of our life. I can see from here to there. That's as far as I can see. And I think in my horizontal view that that will benefit the ministry. But God in his transcendent above perspective can say no, that success, that thing, that addition, that person, that whatever won't benefit the ministry. It's going to hinder the ministry. And so you don't need that. Trust the yes. Trust the no. Trust the not yet. But in everything, be relentless. Amen? So how, how can we be dependent? How can I have that kind of confidence? How can I walk in that kind of dependence? Let me tell you, because I understand dependent prayer is relational. And these points are going to be much shorter. Dependent prayer is relational. 
prayer trusts in the Father as a son. Verse 11, 12, and part of 13. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he gives asked for an egg, he would not give him a scorpion, will he? None of you fathers would do anything crazy like that, right? Your kid asks for something to eat, you give it something that will kill him or hurt him. That's foolishness. None of us would do that. If you then, being evil, you as evil still know how to treat your kids good, how, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love this lesser to greater argument that Jesus is making, which is typical in Jew Jewish teaching. He's moving from a friend. A friend is good. A father is better. But the Holy Father, the Heavenly Father, is best. A friend will treat you great. Will treat you good. A daddy will treat you great. But the Heavenly Father will treat you greater. We can trust in our prayer because we serve a trustworthy Father. Because he's, as much as I want to love for my kids, as, I, as much as I want to provide for my kids, as much as I want to offer them peace, as, I, as much as I want to do everything I can for my kids, I'm evil. But God isn't evil. God is perfect in all of his ways. He is holy. Without, without imperfection. How much greater... And more beautiful is his love towards his kids than my love for my kids. So why can I be dependent on prayer? Why can I have the confidence to be relentless in my prayer? Because I know I serve a God that loves me enough to consider, really truly consider my need over my want. And even if it takes a while, meet that want and need according to his will. And secondly... We can be dependent on prayer because dependent prayer is reliant. Reliant. 13b, very simple. Your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Jesus is specific to say, ask him for the Holy Spirit. We are empowered in our prayer life by the Holy Spirit, which is why we should pray in the Spirit. You know what motivates us to pray? You know what powers us to pray? You know what causes us to be relentless, truly relentless? The Holy Spirit in us. And so Romans 8.26 says this, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Father himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Any of y'all ever been there? I've sat in my office at home and here. I've sat in my car and my heart just breaking. Have no words. I don't have anything to offer God but tears and groans. And I think that is the most crystal clear prayer, some of the most crystal clear prayers I've ever made to God because the Spirit knows exactly what I'm saying and communicates that to God. So we pray in tongues. We are tongue-believing people. 
because that's a perfect communication between God and the Spirit that He's placed in me. But also in the Spirit. That means to be led by the Spirit in our prayers. Get out of our head. Get into our heart. Rely on the Holy Spirit to pray. We are reliant. I can be dependent on prayer because I know the God that loves me. I know the God that lives in me. And I know that he empowers those prayers. I want us to be a church that through prayer understands that we can capture the heart of God as God has captured our heart. But that has to be an intentional thing. It's time for prayers, not players. Agonizers, not organizers. Amen. Let's be that church. That's my prayer, to be a church that is dependent by pursuing relentless prayer because we know who our Father is and because we're empowered by His Spirit to do it.